Hello everyone and welcome back to Monday Movie Madness. We're now on to the third episode of our Halloween Spooktober Festival. Um, I'm kind of coming up with different ways of saying it every week, I think, at this stage. Uh, it's, it's the problem of not having like a like a professional uh, repetitive intro, but maybe that's, a, maybe that's a good thing. It'll keep me on my toes. Um, but as always, I'm joined by the wonderful Christopher Clawson. Uh, this week, we're taking a look at Candyman. Now, not the 2021 version, but the 1992 original film. Um, directed by Bernard Rose. Have you ever heard of Candyman? And if you look in the mirror and you say his name five times. In cities everywhere. Candyman? They whisper his name. Right. Candyman. It's just a story. Candyman. Candyman. Just a ghost story. Candyman. It's, I mean, based off The Forbidden, which is a short story by Clive Baker. Um, and there's obviously other influences such as the likes of, well, Bloody Mary um, and I suppose Captain Hook to a certain extent, or at least Hook in general. Um, I'm, I'm interested about this film because this is actually the first time I've ever seen it. Um, mm-hmm. And based off what people had mentioned about it, this is not what I was expecting at all. Um because I know people love it. And I was going into it like I was thinking 90s horror film. Um, I was thinking it would be more of a cult classic horror film, first of all, which I think is fair to say. And then alongside that, I then thought, oh, it's just going to be a kind of a slasher film with a sort of paranormal entity. But I couldn't have been, I suppose, further from the truth in a lot of ways, because uh, I think it's a it's a much more deeper film than that in the sense of what the horror actually is or what it explores. Um, but Obviously, Chris, you recommended this film. What made you want to kind of talk about it on the podcast? Yeah, so um, I've only actually watched it in the last year, uh, and I watched it in the lead up to the release of the the new film. Um, you know, kind of wanting to get understand what was going on in the new film, um, and so um, yeah, I think because, like you say, it's um, it kind of presents itself, and and even hearing about it as a kid, it it very much sounded just like you know one of those scary slashers. Um, of the 90s and like one of those you, you've got to see it horror films but not really a lot of people I talked to didn't really kind of hint at the the deeper layers in the film um, and then watching it myself it's kind of like oh yeah this is like this does not present itself like I don't think it's presented when people talk about it as a very deep film and then when you watch it you kind of realize there's a lot more going on and you kind of see the reason for its significance in horror culture and why there is a sequel you know so many years later that's trying to essentially undo the work undo the the damage that the two sequels to this original film did oh wow okay so i didn't even know there were two sequels to the original yes, film they're awful by all stat by all accounts uh there's a second one that was theatrically released and then there was a third one that's straight to video and they kind of they are exactly what you thought this film was going to be essentially um just, just poor slashes basically um, yeah so and the, whereas the the kind of the new film was kind of like an attempt i think once you've watched it, I think you'll agree to uh, recapture kind of what this film is going for. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, like there's a lot on the surface that's cool about it that's worth, you know, talking about. And then there's just, as you dive into it even more, that makes it even more of an interesting film. So it's one that I think would be would be wrong to miss out on. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, just before we move on. So yeah, obviously, I don't think Hollywood is really any um, stranger to poor sequels of beloved horror franchises at this stage no unfortunately not um, um, i think i think there's yeah. 
there's that I think it's because there's that base appeal in the character of this character with a hook for a hand and you know the gory deaths you can do with that and I think there's unfortunately like a it's just easy to kind of co- the, the these sequels just seem to coast on the idea of oh we've got a great actor playing this killer so let's just do that yeah well that's what a lot of stuff from like I think the 80s and 90s got wrong of their sequels I'm thinking mainly particularly like Terminator which was mm. where they kind of they took the idea of like scary robot and they kind of Terminator 2 is really good uh, don't get me wrong I absolutely adore that film but Terminator 3 and kind of onwards is just kind of like oh let's see what crazy robots we can have in this movie um, <laughs> and there's no real sort of like change to there's no real exploration of what that sort of although I will say Genesis is a, Genesis is a guilty pleasure of mine I do yeah, yeah <laughs> I quite like it although it's it's really weird to like kind of think that they're the same characters because obviously Amelia Clark looks nothing like uh... yeah that was an odd casting choice <laughs> The Jai no, Courtney yeah. was a weirder one, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's get back um, to what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I think the the reason this film is such a good film for Halloween to say to kind of close out why I picked it is the urban legend, um, mm. you know, nature of it. I think it's it captures the same things that we love about things like you know the Slender Man when that came out and things like that. It kind of captures that in a nutshell and kind of reminds yeah. you of why these kind of stories are so cool. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean. Everything about this film I was hooked in on. I mean, you you mentioned to me it's not a very long film. It is about an hour and a half, which by all accounts today isn't a long film, which is unbelievable to say that like two hours is considered a normal length or at least longer Mm. now. But I mean, it flies by uh, because there's no filler in this film. I don't think it's kind of... No, no. It's it's Um, all filler, really. It's very, yeah, very well paced. Um, And again, you know, right off the bat, uh, getting into the film, right off the bat... um, You've got, you know, that incredible opening score. You know, another, we're the free for free at this point of films with excellent scores in Spooktober. I think I think horror <laughs> just kind of seems to know what it's doing with scores. Uh, yeah. Because, again, this is another, like, iconic, amazing score that fits the film perfectly. Um, you know, I, I was I was listening to it, and, and, you know, before the film even begins, it's got almost like this whimsical, you know, it very much fits this urban legend thing where it's almost whimsical and mysterious. There's a, there's a fantasy. It's almost kind of fantastical. despite the film you know being quite dark and pretty brutal at times oh yeah um, for sure and we're kind of yeah and you know the film's immediately introducing us to the setting of of chicago and and the city and and you're getting these very cool overhead headshots which i soon learned were apparently revolutionary for the time one of the first uses of kind of like an overhead uh using a sky cam it was called um mm. so unsurprising that the film's using innovative you know techniques for the time um and yeah, immediately the film introduces us to the urban, the theme of urban legends by having this very cheesy version of, you know, kind of the almost cheesy version of this movie that exists in some alternate universe where it's uh, a goof, a couple, a very typical couple 
doing the Candyman thing, saying it in the mirror, and then one of the girl getting murdered. Um, although I, I do love the boyfriends played by Ted Raimi. <laughs> I do need to. I want to point out in that scene as well. They needed to get their floors checked because the blood just kind of seeps through it. Like, <laughs> it just and blood is not through, that yeah. corrosive. So, like, <laughs> I mean that that floor that that flooring was going to kill her one way or another. She was going to yeah, fall yeah, through absolutely. that at some stage. So, Candyman was just getting over with quickly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's um it's it, it's almost surprising because initially that that like it's presented as goofy as kind of the people are telling it, but it's kind of hitting on again immediately hitting on this idea that urban legends get twisted and changed and um you know oh, I'm trying to think of the word but like um dramatized and 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 blown up to be these very silly stories um and it kind of as the film goes on we kind of we delve more into the truth of the story mm. um, you could actually i think from that scene at least you could argue and maybe this is in hindsight with all the stuff we've seen particularly mm. in horror over the years since 1992 you could think like you know, maybe that wasn't the story at all. Like this person's kind of telling this dramatized, like typical horror film sort of narrative. Yeah, yeah, very much. At the beginning. Um, yeah. Because we actually, we do cut to then later on, there's a character who tells a completely different story of how uh, the girl actually killed the child. And then yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, it's completely like muddled up. So who knows what the real story is? It just so happens that one innate detail that, that from mm. that girl's story happens to be true in the film. Yeah, and obviously we're introduced to our protagonist, Helen Lyle, um, played by Virginia Madsen, as this kind of, um, I assume she's doing like a PhD research. Um, the, they say they're doing a thesis on urban legends, so I'm assuming she's kind of like at that level uh, yeah. at this university. And she's obviously um, speaking with students on their their thoughts on urban legends, and it's kind of immediately where you're seeing that these, you know, these stories are ridiculous. Obviously, they're, they're just a load of, they're just scary stories to tell each other. Um and then we're kind of almost shortly after that, we're introduced to her research partner. Um, I forget her name now. It's very Bernadette. <laughs> Bernadette, yes. Um, and she's obviously doing the same thing. And that's where you kind of see immediately the idea of these stories being tainted and changed depending on who tells them, you know, because she's interviewing someone about the very same story. And as you say, it's the details are completely different. Um, and uh, they're aware. And obviously they're very aware of this. Um, and then, we're kind of brought to it. We're introduced to her husband, who played by Xander Berkeley, um, who seems to have a knack for playing douchebags in movies and TV because he also plays Gregory in The Walking Dead and is a complete a hole in that as well. Um, but yeah, and and he's kind of giving a lecture on urban legends and dispelling them and saying, you know, they're ridiculous and and you know, this is you know how 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 do these things spread and and things like that and that's kind of the core theme of this film. So it's kind of laying it out for you in a way. Yeah. No, yeah, um, it's, it's cool. I, I really like the idea of, especially in this film. And I think it's something unique that I haven't really seen before. And maybe that's my own non-exposure to a lot of horror media, but taking away the sort of the traditional sort of spooky ghost or like, um, I mean, the traditional sense of like, kind of here's a ghost and there's no explanation for it. Or like mm. just the slasher film, like scream or something like that this like really taps into sort of folklore that specifically like I would be very, you know, I, I, like I would have like, I mean, perfect example for Irish people is like the Banshee. Uh, like there's loads of folk folklore in Ireland that has a really horrible undertone. Uh, mm. The Banshee obviously being one of them, the, just for a quick synopsis on the Banshee as we tangent away, unfortunately <laughs> um, it's like, the Banshee would be depicted as this wailing uh, ghost of a woman that would cry. Um, I, I think it's either to mourn the death of someone or to mark that someone is going to die. Um, 
and there's a good few p- depictions of the banshee but it's like you know this sort of folklore element of like well some people say oh it's just a load of rubbish and then other people are like no i've seen it um mm. is like something i absolutely love the exploration of because i've grown up with many a person who has said oh yeah no i've seen the banshee or like i've heard the banshee and it's not really something you can be like no you didn't because like if so many people are saying it it's kind of like yeah fine even if you don't believe it yourself you just won't really question it it's kind of just mm-hmm. seeped into sort of culture or to or to people's minds it's like yeah this is just something that we've heard about and some people say they've seen some people said they haven't and people will try and investigate it but there's no real evidence for yeah. or against it but i i love this premise um sorry to tangent away there but i just really wanted to talk about how much i absolutely love seeing that representative film yeah yeah I heard about it so much growing up no, I, I get what you mean, because I think there's an interesting idea in the grey area of kind of exploring someone's experience rather than just writing it off and rather than just, you know, saying it definitely happened. I think there's very much that's the most interesting area when you talk about these kind of stories is is exploring the grey between what's true and what's not true and, and kind of coming to the idea of how someone could like perceive that, exp- you know, that that event or experience. Like, I think that's the most interesting thing. I think just to write it off is always like that's the that's the most boring way to tackle that kind of thing. Yeah. Um you know whether or not there's truth to it. I just think it's interesting to engage with those things, uh, and yeah, as you say, this film does it brilliantly. Um, because kind of what what I love about the film is it's such a slow build to this reveal. Um, because you know, as we go on, she's she's kind of she says that she after kind of after this after interacting with her husband and setting up kind of this side plot of her husband being a dick basically and ch- and cheating with one of his students, um, we're kind of thrown into her and her friend actually saying. But although it's it's only uh, Virginia uh, uh, Helen who finishes off the um, the 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 the, the, the f- saying his name five times, but yeah, they kind of immediate and it, and in any lesser horror film, it would almost be immediate. We would be introduced to this this Candyman threat, whereas in this film, we kind of have her say it, and then it's the film constantly plays with your expectations of when this this entity is going to show up, or if it's even going to show up at all. <laughs> you don't believe all that nonsense anyway, do you? I don't. You? No. All right. Candyman, 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 Candyman. Candyman. Oh, you chicken! <laughs> you have to do it five times. Come on, go. I'm sorry, yes, no. I did. I'm sorry. And I think it's so great because there's so much like there's so much scariness. If you watch this film in a dark room, which was how I first watched it, it's quite frightening at times because you're constantly on the edge that you don't know when he's going to show up. You you know you're pretty convinced that well this is a horror film, so he's probably real, uh, and that. You, but the film never tells you when he's going to show up, and it never choreographs his arrival. Um, it's always yeah. very sudden. Um, and it's for like the next you know for a good portion of the movie, we don't see him. Um, and kind of after this, we have you know, a few false scares. And then we have her investigating this story even more. And we hear from a cleaner at her university, uh, you know, almost a more realistic version of this story where someone was killed in, in this place, Cabrini Green, which is these projects that have come become run down over time. Um, and that, you know, Candyman did it was, is what she's told. Um, and like you immediately, there's a difference in the way the story's presented. It isn't dramatized. It isn't over the top. It's just someone's, you know, you know, claim and like experience. And like, she kind of immediately is more intrigued by this. 
Um, yeah. And then the history behind where this has taken place in itself is interesting because there's kind of themes of gentrification and like how, you know, these places have been abandoned and have hurt the community. Um, whereas like where Helen lives is the same kind of thing. You know, her, she was a, a building that was a project, but instead they've kind of taken it over and, and painted over the history and, and, and essentially sold it out. And it's something that the the recent film delves into more, this idea of kind of, um, as they describe it, kind of white people coming in and, and, and sort of gentrifying the area and kind of harming the black community to a great extent. You know, and they, mm-hmm. they, they definitely play with those themes in this film as well. Yeah, because they even mentioned the whole um, bit about uh, what is it that they have the train line that kind of cuts off. Um... Yeah, like they almost cut they cut off Cabrini Green, which kind of like doomed it to this kind of becoming run down and 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 you know the people there being hurt. Mm. Um, and it's yeah. like it's kind of you know there's like a soft implication that you know that's almost intentional or that you know it's bad. <laughs> you know, it's um, the film delves into these themes and kind of lets you play with them in your head a little bit. Um, and it's very interesting. Um, and, you know, these themes are, I think, are very important because this film, you know, has had a much larger impact on the culture. And you, you watch interviews with Tony Todd, you know that the, this character is very important to kind of black culture and, and black filmmaking. Um, and, it's, mm. and it's a reason that, you know, this new movie existed. Um, and it's, yeah, it's very interesting ideas. And kind of past that, we we go to Cabrini Green, I believe, after this. And there's yes. lots of interesting tidbits about this just in the filmmaking of it, um, in that some of the residents are actually used in the film. Like the uh, the the gang members stood outside at the beginning are actually uh, residents of the building um, mm. because this was a real project that they're in for a lot of these scenes. Um, and I think there was a genuine level of unease because some of the residents were gang members. So there's there's a lot of like overdubbing of their dialogue. Um, but like a lot of them wearing the the brightly colored jackets are actually, from my my understanding, some of them are gang members. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very interesting how they made that. Um, and you, yeah, you get this kind of, you get the feeling that this, you know, you can see that this building is run down and, in, and it's decrepit and there's all these kind of graffiti on the wall and there's lots of hints of this Candyman entity. Um, and you see how important it is to the people of Cabrini Green. Um, and there's almost kind of an element of... Um, you know, and the film kind of pokes at it that these people are like just coming in and kind of, you know, they're like playing around with these people's lives and kind of just looking at it and going, oh, that's interesting <laughs> when this is like the people's day to day experiences. Um, yeah, because there's even and- like there's a sort of like there is a division of like how much like I know they're going out there to like try and study this Candyman stuff, but there is a sense of like they really do overstep their bounds in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, for, absolutely. Like, believe. like even with um uh, with Helen taking pictures of the, this graffiti on the wall, like that's someone's home. Um, yeah. And then she literally almost tears apart an apartment next door as well, which, yeah, it, it no one lives there, but it's still like, I don't know, it's kind of destruction of property maybe? I don't know. Yeah, it feels like, it feels like exp- that you, you get the vibe, and I think the film's trying to communicate that, that there's a level of exploitation in, in, this, in the kind of tragedy of this place and like, you know, the wrongs done to these people. Um, and like, you know, even though Helen is presented as a pretty sympathetic character, it's you can't help but notice it. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and again, we get lots of, I think there's a lot of great tension here again, because you think maybe the Candyman's going to show up here. And you get that amazing shot of the mural once they're inside the building oh, fully. Yeah. And that's just like, that's just creepy. <laughs> it's great. But at the same time, it's, it's you know, and the film kind of plays around with this idea of his eyes, you know, this like hypnotic stare that he's got. Um, mm. And I think after that is when we meet... Uh, I'm terrible with the names in this movie. 
I've just watched it and I forget her name, but um, she's um, Marianne. The Marianne, the the the, the young mother. I'm um, glad I'm you, useful for something. <laughs> you're very good at names. I'm terrible with them. Um, and uh, yeah, and we meet Marianne, and and again, it's like it's kind of like a, a juxtaposition where you see the hallways decrepit and graffitied, and then you see inside her home, and it's kind of it's very homely, and you can see that you know it's it's kind of trying to show you these i these these false assumptions about the people who live there you know this is like a young mother who's working to look after her kid and she's put him in a very you know a very loving home and she even kind of points out at one point in the when they're talking to her you know we're not all like the, those you know the gang members and stuff and like to assume so is you know it's kind of like part of the film's message of these kind of like you know bigoted assumptions about the people who live here yeah, I do want to just mention, I did just double check it there. It's actually Anne-Marie, so oh, I'm okay. not as good as I thought it was. Um, but yeah, no, that enough. film touches a lot on sort of like, especially, um, I suppose, media view and sort of white people's view of like people in these areas. Hmm. Uh, because like, it's immediately touched on. It's like, oh, what are you going to find out that we're, you know, that we steal or something? Like there's yeah, all these absolutely. Stuff. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, like the people there are right not to trust just anyone who rocks up because mm-hmm. you don't know what they do um and i think it it definitely it touches on that throughout the film and it's definitely a core element and i think that's what makes it such a sort of unabashed film because obviously there's horror there but it's still it's still grounded in reality in ways Mm. that maybe other films would maybe skip over uh which i thought was quite nice yeah and there's definitely this idea that like there's you know there's there's mentions of kind of the police there and and it's kind of this idea that like well the gangs are only there because the police have essentially abandoned these people you know, but then, mm. but then the police view this place as like a gang-ridden, you know. But it's it's like a thing of their own making. They've they've literally abandoned this place and and left these people to fend for themselves. Like you know, but it is it's something as well that like Helen touches on later. Um, when there's you know, yeah, yeah, a fake Candyman shows up and attacks her, and there's an assumption, or well, not an assumption. Sorry, she clearly states that like you know, two people were murdered here, and the police did nothing. And then once a white woman goes into that neighborhood, mm. all of a sudden the killer's found. Um, which I think, yeah, I mean, I was all on for like its commentary on the entire political situation in this film, and it's, yeah, I just thought it was really well done to be honest, because mm. it doesn't shy away from the controversy surrounding that sort of stuff, and it's not particularly it's not a ham-fisted attempt to try to make it political in any way, shape, or form, but it is like hmm. it's speaking the truth about what happens. Um, and yeah, I think absolutely. that's a really good way in which they do it in this film. Mm. And um, and again, it's still we're still kind of building this inevitable reveal, but kind of we 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 continue her sort of research at Cabrini Green, and then it's it's after she's... A, and then eventually she is uh, attacked by um, someone claiming to be Candyman. Um and I, I, they continue these urban legends as well because they also tell a story about a child who was mutilated in the bathroom, which is a pretty like horrific scene, despite not showing you too much. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it was kind of implied that it's this man who confronts her that actually did this to the child because everything you see of Candyman later on, this doesn't really, you know, match his mo um, no. of for one leaving the kid alive. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that he wouldn't kill the child, but just not not really his sort of thing. Um, but the, but uh, the kid who the kid who's in that scene as well, Jake, is phenomenal. Um, yes, yeah. Throughout the entire film, like I just, I don't know. Maybe it's the time, and maybe I'm kind of expecting a different level of quality of acting. But like Jake is phenomenal throughout the entire film from start to end. I think he's a really, hmm. really good actor. Um, and I'd be interested to know if he was in anything else after this. Um, I th- yeah, I'm trying to think if he's in the the follow up to this film. I I don't think so. Um, but possibly. 
and there's a lot of uh, recurring character. There's kind of lots. There's a lot of connective tissue with the the follow up film. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a lot of connections between this film and the the recent one. Um, and yeah, and again, it's like, and and then she's she's attacked in the bathroom after we see kind of more horrific imagery. Sweets for the sweet painted on the wall in I think is meant to be feces, which is mm. pretty nasty. Um, there's a very like. Despite you know, despite what the film's trying to say about the place, it's also not hiding the fact that the place is run down. There is like a, a decrepit nature to the place, you know, um, and it is pretty gross. It does feel very gross, and there's a lot of imagery with bees as well, which is kind of hinting more at the Candyman. Um, mm. And then it's kind of after she's assaulted, and obviously we make this point on that you know only when you know they they catch this guy immediately, but only after a white woman is attacked there. You know, two like they say, two people were murdered, and nothing was done about it. Um, and I love how the police as well, they just kind of nonchalantly say, well, we don't need the kid. We don't need to help this kid because he, he can't give us any testimony. So, you know, screw him, basically. Yeah, uh, it's pretty much like, you know, oh, we don't... Um, like he even laughs we it don't off, doesn't to... he? <laughs> yeah, but they're also like, oh, we can't protect people out there. And it's like, yeah. why why can't you? Like, if you if you need to protect someone, why not, you know, relocate them or something? And maybe, yeah, yeah. you know, that's a big thing of like, I don't know, it, it, it really upends someone's life. But at the same stage, it's like, if you really cared about catching a killer like that, you'd probably want to have as many witnesses or people to testify yeah. as possible, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's like the reason people won't testify is because they have, they've they been unprotected for so long, and why, why at this point there's no trust. Um, but yeah, I love yeah. the way the film plays with these themes. And then obviously we... I think it's after this point, after her assault, she's looking through her photos, we get one of the best scenes in the movie, which is the introduction of the great Tony Todd... Uh, in his first real oh. on-screen scene, we've heard his voice up until this point, but this is, you know, this is like this is a, why he is a horror icon. Do I know you? No, no. But you doubted me. I'm sorry. I have to go. No need to leave yet. When I'm late. You are not content with the stories, so I was obliged to come. Be my victim. We get well, this long true shot legends, of true legends will remember him as a Vortigon in Half Life Two, Episode Two. I also saw him before this in the Night of the Living Dead remake. Um, he portrayed the character of ben that was in the original so he's the i mean the guy's like as far as i know i think he has some kind of a stage background as well i, I could be wrong on that but he's a horror legend for a reason you know oh yeah um but this is obviously his his all-time great role um you hear this you know this incredibly powerful voice um immediately and it's like it so one thing that and i've read on this and i, I think it was intended and i don't know if you got this vibe did you get the vibe that Candyman's almost meant to be kind of seductive as well as scary, you know, almost romantic and like, um, yeah, there's like a, a, a seductive nature to him um, in the, you know, his voice, the way he speaks and, and like, I, I, I don't know if I'm communicating this right, but do you, do you, do you get what I'm talking about? I, yeah, I definitely do. I don't know how much of that is to maybe do with the fact that obviously we learn later on that Helen is kind of this vessel for him to kind mm -hmm. of, um, it's sort of like Helen is acting as literally just a, a cutout of like, because obviously we learned the story of 
uncanny man is that he was what what is it he he falls in love he was, with the daughter of, of yeah, a famous he, white person when he's he was told, a painter was a yeah. Brooch, he, yeah um he was a painter and kind of like accepted in society at the time of slavery because his father was wealthy and he'd kind of been raised within like white society like and been accepted because he provided a service i guess you know um, but the second he falls in love with this white woman he's he's you know beaten and murdered um you know as, as brutally as you can get um yeah. and that's kind of his origin story you know his hand is sawed off and they ram a hook in it and it's very like you know it's even when that t- story is told to you whether or not the details of it are entirely true or that's exactly how it went down um you know because of the whole urban legend theme but there's still like this innate yeah yeah, yeah and obviously he is a very romantic character it's even been said i believe by bernard rose that that's kind of what he was trying to portray as a, a romantic figure you know you almost want to like him despite the horrific things he does um, because I think because he's so fleshed out with his backstory and the tragedy of his character. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, obviously we get him. He comes in looking incredible, iconic. You know, that fur coat, everything about him is screams horror icon. Um, and his dialogue is excellent as well. It's very like it's building on that nature of urban legend. And he's kind of saying, you know, this is your fault. I wasn't because you get the vibe that he wasn't actually doing many killings up until this point. But kind of she damaged the faith in him because when she got this Candyman arrested, she kind of she made this like you see it through the, the child that he doesn't believe in it anymore. And he's like, well, you know, without without the the belief in me, I'm you know, I'm nothing. I cease to be. And so now I've got to kill people is basically what he kind of tells her. Um, and an interesting thing about the scene where she sees him for the first time, you know, she gets locked in this kind of trance again. Um, that's because she actually was in a trance. They hypnotized her throughout the film um she was with a trained hypnotist um to give that like kind of look so where she's like crying and, and as tears running her face, she's genuinely being hypnotized um yeah. and they kind of had a it's very interesting to read about um but yeah and it really achieves the effect of him being this you know hypnotic you know seductive figure yeah. um i want to say though i i really like that it's it touches on this sort of like like it it i think this film like unabashedly is very much like you know god isn't real i don't maybe that's just and let me let me let me just kind of get my thoughts out <laughs> on this because it's like a weird like thing to start with because first of all obviously like you know he you know the whole point of like you know candy man would cease to exist if he wasn't mentioned it's kind of it's a it's definitely sort of a form of sort of preservation of lost uh, of lost lives because you know the way like um i mean i remember when i was i was in china once before and we went to this great this this wall with a list of names and the whole point was that uh, in this area of china or at least in the the place in general that if you go in there and you say the person's name on the wall it gives life to them in the afterlife um to kind of keep them living uh which I mean, maybe doesn't necessarily mean God isn't real. I don't know why I phrased it like that. I didn't want to say atheistic because I don't think that's it's a form of atheism. But it's a, it's an element of like, you know, there's there's a life that comes from being remembered as opposed to sort of mm-hmm. people pretending there's a God after after all is said and done. So like, you know, you could imagine by him not committing many atrocities, maybe as you mentioned, like this guy, other guy getting caught as being Candyman that maybe his existence seeks to fade a little bit and by yeah it's 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 not really the killings that are the important thing to him it's more so at the stories around them 
uh, mm. that are the important aspect, which is obviously so that people will talk about it. And it's like, you know, you talk about the boogeyman or something like, I mean, who talks about the boogeyman really anymore? Like, I don't know anyone who really mentions that to their kids. Like, but that was a story like a lot of people grew up with. It's like the only reason like sort of horrific figures or whatever get passed down through generations is through word of mouth, I think. At least mm. at least the folklorish ones. I mean, the banshees and all that are perfect example. And old Irish tales like Coo Cullen and all these other bits of pieces that we would have learnt as growing up. I say we, me, I suppose I should say, uh, that we learnt as growing up, like the, those passed down through word of mouth to begin with. Um and I, I I don't know. I'm I'm drawing a lot of comparisons to like Irish culture, knowing full well that this is not an Irish culture centric film, but I think there's a lot of parallels you can draw between the cultures all around the world when it comes to the the idea of preserving um certain people or preserving certain ideas or stories like that yeah. they're passed down from people to people i mean music is one other thing as well like you know i mean particularly and sorry i'm rambling here and i'll try and wrap it up as quick as possible <laughs> but <laughs> like music in ireland was a huge thing because we didn't uh, sheet music for irish traditional music would never used to be written down it used to be taught by um taught by ear so you'd never have an actual piece of music because a lot of irish um a lot of Irish musicians weren't classically trained, so they didn't know notation. Uh, thanks for that, Chris. Um, but <laughs> sorry, that was that wasn't that was unintentionally rude. <laughs> but we we look at like this this element of like you know these these songs you know they changed they evolved but they did ultimately stay the same and there was an element of like uh, you know whatever the name of the song was you know it sticks throughout generation to generation without ever needing to be written down. It's the story. Mm that keeps them alive and i think there's what the overarching thing of what i'm trying to say is that you know this could be applied to Candyman in the same way like this story of all these killings because it's they say it dates back to the the 1890s so yes, like yeah for it to keep going for 100 years there needs to be some level of this fear or these stories of these killings uh passing down from generation to generation which we see with uh, with Anne Marie and her son Anthony because she says oh, i never want him to be taken away from me by uh, by him or whatever you know because so there's an element that and, and the same with jake jake believes in him so there's there's a there is something being passed down to people that to make them fear and to make them sort of be weary at night similar to stuff like the boogeyman and all that you know like, mm. and santa i suppose as well as another one but that's i think i've wasted people's time yeah. enough to be no, honest no, yeah there's definitely some I, I definitely see what you're saying because obviously there's many lines throughout the film where he's kind of referencing the idea that his story will be passed around for cost classrooms lovers it will make lovers cling closer to each other at night you know um i, I completely it's very much about like this kind of he's trying to he wants generations and generations to kind of remember him forever and that's kind of that makes him immortal in a sense and yeah. um, there's very there's a lot of lines in the film about how it gives you it makes you Im immortal without needing to be alive essentially yeah you, know, you, you not, needn't suffer living essentially but you're still immortal and that's kind of what he tries to he kind of tries to i, I almost i suppose gaslight <laughs> helen into kind of believing his <laughs> his worldview um because it's like kind of after this point is when she starts to black out and and you know people die <laughs> a dog gets his head chopped off which is awful um uh, i think it's always shocking yeah. how the the kills in this film there isn't actually many on screen but the, the film is still incredibly like brutal oh yeah definitely like, even like the bits we see of like bodies and corpses are so like like disgusting <laughs> mm. there's something about the way the blood looks in this film it's just really nasty like and there's so much of it as well there's usually buckets of blood wherever he's been oh yeah um 
yeah, the dog head thing is the one that sticks out to me the most. I think. Yeah, that's, that's uh, that one's nasty, <laughs> and it's kind of like you get the the sense of immediately it's kind of he's almost framing he's framing her for these murders because one she'll kind of spread this this story of him, but also you know that there'll be enough doubt that people will always kind of believe the story. I suppose is what he's trying to do because there's like although to the police it'll look exactly like it looks, which is that she is killed killed this dog, attacked this woman, and then took her baby. Um, but to like a lot of people who will hear the story, it will kind of always be this thing of, well, maybe it was the Candyman, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's like, again, that's like, you know, the the brilliant part of the film is that you, you like whenever you hear the stories in the film, you're never 100% sure whether that's actually a true story of, of, the, of a, a killing by him or if it's, you know, something unrelated that's turned into a story about him. Mm. Um. And yeah, and, and this is where it, like kind of the film kind of goes into overdrive at this point because now we've seen him once. You're always on edge when he's going to come back again because he, the film kind of establishes that he can be anywhere at any time, and you know there's not really anything you can do to stop him. Um, he will just appear when he feels like it, essentially. Um, and uh, I think it's a kind of after this point she she's not initially charged with anything, although you know it's very much they all kind of believe you know she's killed she's killed this woman's dog she's probably killed the baby or maybe kidnapped the baby you know they're all kind of they all believe that that she's guilty um and then it's kind of going through her you know she kind of briefly goes back to normal to an extent in that she's hiding indoors and you know we're we're she's not really explored she's kind of just hiding for everyone a lot of people believe she's guilty but like you know it's not clear um until her friend uh, bernadette turns up again to visit her when Candyman is there, um, and uh, did the jump scare catch you? I'm curious. His claw coming through the, his hook coming through the wall rather suddenly. I was expecting her to close the the door and him be in the mirror. Yeah, that's what I was looking because. But maybe I've been conditioned by so many horror films doing that that I it was actually. Do you remember jumping out of my chair when I saw his his fist come through the wall? <laughs> his claw it come d- through it the does, wall. It does. It does make more sense though because it's kind of a, a nice close to the idea of like because it would have made the whole scene at the beginning of them explaining that stuff is behind there. Yeah, Not yeah. Pointless because they do use that in the apartments, but it also kind of brings that full circle, which was nice. Yeah, and um, you get I love that iconic line that he says throughout the film, the "Be my victim" line. It's just a, such a good line. <laughs> You know, because it's kind of like saying, be, you know, be like the centerpiece to my story, essentially. You know, by being my victim, you you kind of complete this this story that will be told for years to come. Yeah. Um, and again, like the, all the shots of him are always like very imposing. He always looks he's always is. There's quite a lot where it's from a distance, but you kind of it's kind of almost to get like the scale of him because Tony Todd's like six foot five. Mm. Um, so it's to kind of like communicate how just how big of a guy he is. Um. And yeah, it's it's brilliant again, and it, and we just see how, despite his like you know somewhat, rom- I don't want to say somewhat at, at times romantic language, he is like a cruel and evil entity because he butchers Bernadette. Um, and again, you know, the blame kind of falls to her. She wakes up knife in hand, and it's it always makes sense why she's carrying like a weapon at the time. Like it always, you know, I, I get why it's happening, you know, because in this instance, she's grabbing it to defend herself from him, and then. I guess his trance kind of makes her pass out, or I think does she pass out from blood loss because he he nicks her, doesn't he? Yeah. The other thing, though, I well, there's one scene where that really doesn't make sense, and that's the scene with the doctor in the psych ward. Because yeah. it's like, why does she go out the window? Because like, there's no hook. There's no way she's done that because mm. there's no weapon around. There's no blood on her. Um, and even more stupidly, why does that person let her back in the window? 
Like, I wouldn't be opening that window for anyone if they were climbing out on the roof and the alarm was going off. Absolutely not. Stay away. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a bit. Um, yeah, because the film kind of just it. So kind of from this point, it is very much everyone believes she's guilty and she is committed, and we get more great scenes of just him messing with her essentially. But he's kind of trying to condition her, I think, to kind of see him as like the only way out essentially. Yeah. You know, everyone believes she's a killer. There's, you know, and the, he's kind of like, you know, if you come with me, I won't kill the, the baby that I still have, um, which is later revealed to be a bit of a lie, I think. Um, but uh, I love the scene Very where he floats about. Yeah, I, I love the scene. Yeah, disappointed. You know, he was so he was such a gentleman <laughs> up to that point. Um, I, I, I love the bit where uh, he floats above her and he's like one kiss. And it's just like, I love the effect of him floating and just the way he moves and it's just so he's so cool like yeah he's scary and he is genuinely frightening i think at points just because of his dialogue and the ominous nature of him and you know he's gonna kill someone um yeah but he but at the same time there is like you are like kind of entranced by him you know he's i think it's a combination of his brilliant performance and and the dialogue and and just the way he carries himself is you know he has this charisma as a killer we don't often see killers in films that have like a charismatic nature yeah um and yeah and again it looks like she's you know just looks like she's crazy because no one else can see him <laughs> i love how he slides under the bed as well <laughs> i always love that bit yeah i know it's really good because then we obviously see the the footage later on and you can kind of see it go into her head because she's been there a month and she doesn't really realize that mm. um and maybe that's something to do with the medication they put her on but I th- alongside uh, what you can say no, sorry, I was going to say, I think, obviously, you, you're probably along the same lines, but the film really does play around with the idea of it all being in a head for a significant amount of time. Which is great because... that we've had two films in a row uh, where time is not what you might think it is. <laughs> yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's great to have that mindfuck um, in each film. <laughs> do you know what I think is funny about this film as well is, um, as you say, we've, we've played the footage and she's with the psychiatrist. I don't know why at this point she thinks saying his name is a good idea for that for anyone involved. <laughs> I no, think she's I, yeah, because like all the stories just say like either she's gonna die and she's gonna bring an innocent man well, with her, yeah, or he's going to die and she's gonna be putting the blame on again. Rightfully so. Uh, she, I, I think she is. Uh, she's an accomplice in this scene. I think because she, yeah, for she sure. willingly says she kind it. Of... <laughs> And Jesus, like, I know it's this isn't the goriest film in the world, but there is something about the way he kills people in this movie that just makes me want to be as far away from him as humanly possible because they just do a really good job of communicating how agonizingly painful it is to die that way. My, my favorite like, bit is in that scene, though, is like it actually kind of feels... I always, when I saw it, I was like, I was kind of laughing because it kind of just looked like he just came out from underneath the table. <laughs> yeah, he was just waiting for like, her to say it. <laughs> like, like he was hidden under the chair. <laughs> It's just his head, like, just cuts to him, like, squatting under the chair. He's, like, on four and say, she's going to say it, she's going to say it. <laughs> Now's my time to shine. Um, no, but he, you know, essentially guts him from behind, and it's, like, there's never any, like, I don't think, like, the gore in this film is really interesting. It's never, like, you're not seeing, like, entrails or anything, but there's something so, it feels more graphic than it is. It's like, the don't sound, get me wrong, it's, it's the sound Yeah, sure. the sound is, like, you can just hear the ripping of, like, his flesh and doesn't help that Candyman kind of grunts every time he guts someone in this movie. Like, it's almost, I don't want to say sexual, but it's kind of weird. <laughs> like well, he's he just gr- described he, pain he, as exquisite, so it's, yeah. he obviously gets off on it in some weird yeah. way. Yeah, I mean, it's Clive, It's a Clive Barker story, so there's probably some sexual aspect to it. <laughs> like, there's probably some weird aspect to it. Um, but yeah, he's, like, kind of goring this guy, and it's, again, brutal as hell. And then 
I love how he flies out the window as well. He just kind of squats down and pulls himself away from the window. <laughs> it's, uh, it's again, great imagery. And again, like Tony Todd is awesome. And yeah, this is kind of her, like, she's kind of screwed at this point. Like, this is the third person to die at her feet. Like, you know, no one, this is it. It's done. Um, and she kind of snaps and, and runs home and gets the confirmation that we all knew was happening is that her husband is cheating on her with this student. Which, um, yeah, it was also alluded to in the when she initially got arrested and she tried to. Read yeah, because she home. calls and he didn't answer. Yeah. Well, there's quite a few scenes where he's like, oh, I'm going out or I'm I'm, you know, coming home late. Like he comes home late drunk at one point as well, like very late in the night. It's like the, this is like, the, you know. There's tons of like it's very obvious to, to to probably to even her, but she's too kind of wrapped up in this situation. Um, the thing as well is like that's never really touched on as being a wrong thing. Like he is quite literally just going out with a student. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's more just like a it's it's more just thing of her being kind of like you know obviously upset for that reason. She never really mentions the fact that she's a student. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think what I find the most unbelievable part is that a student would be so attracted to Xander Berkeley, but <laughs> he's just, he's got such an it's old, he's allure. like an old grumpy guy. It's the allure of a teacher. And then yeah, the fact yeah. that she stays with him <laughs> <laughs> long after the affair. Like he's the one who's not interested by the end. <laughs> yeah. You'd be absolutely raging if he like broke up with you. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't even break up to you. He, he dies. Like that's even worse. Like imagine being her though. Like she must be traumatized. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and uh, and that she confronts them, and obviously it's almost like you know she's so like broken at this point mentally that she could probably kill one of them now, and it wouldn't be surprising. Yeah. Um, and she says this line that I love that we call back to later on is that what's wrong? Scared of something? Uh, and I love that they later call back to that in an amazing scene at the end of the film. Um, My, but just in that scene as well, I thought the acting was weird. From oh, what's the name of the girl? Um. Oh, Stacy, that's it. I thought yeah. the acting was weird, like, in that sense, because when she, like, first sees Helen, I don't know why, but I thought, like, maybe she just, like, fell down because she was, like, high or something. I didn't think she was scared of her <laughs> she, for a second, because it looks it weird. It looks like she's going to laugh as well. It's a bit Yeah, of that's what I was like. Is she, actually, is she, like, stoned or something with him? And then she, like, calls out to Trevor, and it doesn't sound like she's, like, scared in any way. And it, mm. it kind of sounds like he's high as well when he comes in. And then it was just like, oh, no, wait, she's crying. You know, I feel kind of, what? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a bit of, a kind of taken away from it. Yeah, for a second. Interesting moment. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, obviously, we have a go to Cabrini Green to kind of face him. Um, we have a scene before where I think she's, con I don't know, is she contemplating suicide at one point as well when she's sort of staring into the water um, kind of after that? And I... we hear his voice. Like, I didn't know if that's what she was, you know, she's at her wit's end and she's kind of. I don't know if she is. I don't know, um, I'm kind of I'm torn on that now. But we sort of hear his voice again and he's saying, you know, you'll you know, you'll live forever if you just like if you just let me take you basically. Um and he kind of, and this is like and this is where she kind of she she goes back to Cabrini Green and she confronts him essentially. She tries to briefly tries to kill him which obviously does nothing because the guy's a ghost. Um yeah. although she does stab him which surprises me. I would have thought it'd just go through him but um, the blood comes out of him. Yeah, yeah. So it's like he has a physical body. It's kind of interesting. Um, but there's a bit of that, you know, we're never really told his full sort of form. But um No, and I love and again, like this is like where the film really hammers the the idea of this like romance. You know, there's a painting of her, and it's very clear that she was like he was in love with it. The painting was of like an perhaps an ancestor of hers, you know, something along those lines, or a reincarnation. You know, we were not really told, but you can kind of understand why he sees her as like, because they look very similar. Um, but I don't think that's 
that important because no, no it, like it's... because she like he does also kidnap the child and the whole thing is that I think is she is the original woman that he was in love with got pregnant as well and they killed that child. I think that's the thing as well. Yeah, isn't it? there there I don't know if they say they don't say what happened to the child, but I think there is an element of because this is kind of what I was thinking about in the jumping into head to the end with the pyre is kind of an because he's saying, you know, we'll never be apart again when they're in the pyre. I almost kind of get the element of he's going to kill the kid too because then they're kind of like a family essentially. Well, yeah, you know, I think like kind there of is. Like, yeah, I do think there is one point where they him? mentioned that they mentioned that the kid was killed as well. I think there is one point in the film where that's mentioned. I can't fully remember where, but I do remember. I may have it. missed that. Yeah. Um, um. So I think maybe it doesn't really matter so much who the people are. It's just that they kind of look similar, like maybe in that sense, or mm. maybe that they represent something to him. Um. He's just tired yeah. of being single. Tinder hasn't been working for him, you know. Yeah. Well, um, as it wouldn't if you're a murdering ghost. Yeah, but he's a very handsome man, you know. As most people on Tinder, I suppose, maybe. Um, but um, but yeah, she kind of confronts him, and um, again, like his his dialogue is just like poetry, you know. It's like it's very like um, it's very romantic. Like he's talking about how there will be pain, she will die, but and it will be exquisite, which he translates should've... to awful. <laughs> yeah, he should have really said, "Be my victim." I would have loved if he did be... something. Like that. <laughs> that would have been top he tier. He just starts reciting. Yeah. He's like, "Did you know a bee can't actually, shouldn't actually be able to fly?" They should have gotten Tony Todd in the B movie, I think. Like, imagine how good of a cameo that would be. Like, it'd be so that'd weird, be good. but it'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah, that'd be quite good. Um, the B stuff is gross, though. Let's just, like, like, because obviously there's this, there's almost, does he dance with her? I almost like he, he almost kind of dances with her for a moment. Um, if I remember correctly. Smooch with the bees. And yeah, well. oh my God. Rough. Like, and you know what's funny is he got stung 20 odd times because there's like a plate in his mouth and the bees got through the plate and stung him inside his mouth. I would believe it. Um, believe it. Uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, he got, and apparently he was like paid extra every time he was stung, bless him. Um, oh, yeah, once, you catch me stinging myself if I was getting one, paid extra. Yeah, yeah. One sad thing that is of note, because I remember seeing this in an interview with Tony Todd, and I might be misremembering this, and this is like really, like, this sucks to hear, but they wanted to have like a proper kiss, you know, like a less horrific one, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and apparently there was like some producers trying to interfere because because of Tony Todd being a black guy, basically, um, and like how that would affect audiences. And he, you know, he kind of says in this interview, he's like, oh, it's all right for me to be a, a murdering evil ghost, but God forbid I like, you know, kiss a white woman. And it's kind of sucks when, when what the film's trying to communicate to you and like to know that like even, you know, the message of the film is kind of cut through by like some asshole producer. Yeah, um, I think even like still it, though, the message still did get through. Yeah, absolutely. And when you read what Bernard Rose is trying to achieve, he has a very noble goal because he actually says that his one of his main goals with the film was to dispel the urban legend of these kind of these ghetto neighborhoods by saying that yeah, they they are dangerous, but to like act, you know, to dehumanize the people who live there is, you know, is bigoted and that's kind of what he he's claimed he's trying to say because the yeah. film was criticized upon release for being racist, which I really wouldn't understand in any way shape or form because yeah, and 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 someone and he kind of said I I can't remember if it was him or uh, another person involved with the film that why can't he be the villain you know why can't a black man be uh, a Freddy Krueger or a you know why can't they be this iconic character um, like it's yeah. more bigoted to say they can't um, and he, and again he's you know he's portrayed with so much sympathy as well like despite being this very scary villain the idea of him being a slave and being wrongfully murdered and you know all these kind of things that they go a lot to humanize him. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we get the great scene with the bees, <laughs> and they pull, and then he reveals his, you know, essentially empty rib cage with filled with bees that's as gnarly as hell. Um, not and the again, bees, not the bees. Ama- yeah, I can imagine <laughs> Helen was thinking that. Um, any creepy crawlies, to be fair, but bees might be one of the worst ones it could have been. Oh, I think yeah. the only thing would have made it worse is if it was spiders. Um, oh, but uh, yeah, that would be a horrific image. Um, but and then and then he kind of there's this pyre that was hinted at earlier in the film. He he's essentially putting the kid in the pyre, and he's kind of like psych. You know, I'm actually going to kill the kid as well. Yeah. Although I almost think that's a way of him luring her into his like that's that's how he achieves what he wants, which is for her to be this part of this urban legend. You know, because that it's, rather than just gutting her, he wants her to almost go out in like you know this spectacle. Hmm. Um, and uh, and she crawls into the pyre with the hook to defend herself, and the the Jake from earlier sees the hook and kind of assumes, oh, he is here, Candyman's here, let's kill him. You know, let's get rid of him. Um, and they set this pyre alight while she's in there. Um, and she tries to say she goes in to save the child, uh, and succeeds. But um, Candyman kind of holds her for a bit, and then she kind of stuns him, I guess, or whatever. But he's trapped in the pyre essentially, mm. um, and she's burnt on the way out severely. Um, and unfortunately, despite saving the kid, dies, um, dying with this very scarred, messed up look as well, with all like the back of her, her hair burnt off and all of her scalp. It's, Which is really you know, good prosthetics, if that's what. Yeah. It is. Oh yeah, it will definitely be like this. Uh, there's a lot of practical effects involved that are all, you know. Top yeah, but I'm trying to figure out in my head if she actually shaved her head for the role. Oh, I've got yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I'm not quite sure on that one. I'd have to look into that. But um, I mean, we're three for three again with films with great practical effects as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're, we're sure. eating good this Halloween. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're not and yeah, getting tricked. We're getting treats. And she tragically dies, but in her death, she kind of redeems herself, like how people view her. Mm. Um, because she kind of becomes, at her funeral, she becomes almost a hero to Cabrini Green because they all, all the residents come out to honor her at a funeral. Which I was really expecting. I was expecting like a pan up shot and then have all of them there. And then I was like, oh, that's weird. And then they all come marching in. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of sweet. It's like you know because it sucks that she would die kind of with this. I don't know. Is it sweet? I don't. I didn't get a sense of it being sweet. I don't it's know not it like was... the yeah. fact that she died, and obviously, obviously, but like it's nice that at least she was like somewhat redeemed by what the Candyman kind of made her to be. But I also um, feel like I don't know if it's just me that kind of felt like I don't know. I at the end maybe this is a really bad read of it, but I kind of felt like they were almost damning her to that life afterwards. Because it's like mm. they drop the hook down with her, and it's kind of like, well, you yeah, can't escape I him suppose. in death. And it's like, mm. obviously, she comes back with that hook later on at near the end of the film. Um, and I just, I don't know, I, I just, yeah, it's I, interesting. I, I can definitely sure. see, I can definitely see both sides of it in this case because I well, could see maybe that I could see how someone be like, especially like, oh yeah, it's a, it's a nice touching tribute, and I definitely got that vibe. But at the other time, yeah. I was also like. I don't know if that's how there I is, remember. There is some merit to that, to be fair, because, and this is only a, a slight spoiler for the 2021, and it's only it's in the beginning of the film anyway, but they do discuss the events of this film, and the events, okay. the story of this film is told, and Helen Lyle is the villain in the story. So it very much follows on that trend of urban legends, because she they don't reference him in, in, the, in the sequel when they tell this story. They actually reference her as a crazy white woman who killed these people and tried to kill this baby, and Cabrini Green, you know, kind of rose up and, and, and took her out. Um, so there is definitely like a, there is like a, you know, what is her legacy? You know, it's kind of like, it's a dark ending for sure. Like it's, a, and mm. it's a great ending. <laughs> it's like great that they go all in with this incredibly fucked up dark ending. 
um, and just kind of commit to it because it, you know, I almost think it would be a disservice to the film to have a kind of win and be like, oh, you know, Candyman's gone and I died, but like everyone thinks I'm a hero and all this. Because um, it would go but, against everything the movie said. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because the whole film is kind of like, you know, these twisting of these stories and turning them into, you know, you know, because it takes a story that if anyone had heard the story of what actually happened to the character of Candyman, who is actually in the later films, his, his name is Daniel Robitaille. Yeah. Um, if anyone had like actually listened to that story, they think it was a story, a tragic story and the story of injustice, you know, not, they wouldn't be so concerned about the, the, the focus would be the historical like evil that was done to him. But obviously <laughs> instead it's turned into this story of this scary man who kills people. Um, but yeah, the final scene, you know, after Helen dies, amazing. Uh, the husband lamenting her death, you know, being a total asshole because it's like, well, you know, you had her and you're, you know, half of what happened. I almost wonder if some of the events of the film wouldn't have taken place had his affair not. I, I, maybe this is wrong. I feel, well, obviously he's cheating, right? Yeah. Um, but she's in that psych ward for what, a month? And yeah, that's a bit of quick time to move off. But let's be honest, it does look like she's a psycho murderer. Yeah, in fairness, like there's no, like anyone from the outside would think. I think the issue is more that it was going on before and obviously that she's a student, you know, if neither of those things would be happening oh, yeah, before, I, mean, I, don't yeah. think any, I, don't, I don't think anyone would like criticize his actions, but it's the fact that it's been going on before and he's just kind of saw it as an opportunity, like, Hey, Hey, I get to have it all the time now. And he's grooming um, pretty much a child. Yeah, like, pretty much. Yeah. So um, this is also a film on don't cheat on your wife. Um, yeah. Because she'll because come back as a ghost kill and you. kill you. <laughs> <laughs> even in death you you cannot escape um but no i love he says helen and then the light goes out and she reappears with that whole burnt look and she says the line that she said what's the matter scared of something what's the matter trevor scared of something I like that she doesn't have the hook for the hand instead and just has it as a weapon yeah. as well. And then she kills him in the same way, gutting him. And do you know what I find interesting? She's also groaning, just like how Candyman did. Um, you know, she's groaning as she kills him. It's Comes almost like a job they, description, I'd imagine. Yeah, I guess like you just get like an arousal from <laughs> murdering people. <laughs> Must have good groan to apply for this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and then, and, then the, and then it ends kind of there with his... And again the Stacy character is set up again as like the next Helen because she's holding a knife. Although it doesn't have any blood on it, I will say. So no, yeah, I think she's getting away with I that. I think she's it. probably okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then it kind of ends there and we kind of, and it obviously wraps back on that idea of urban legends and how, how she is the new, she's the new candy man essentially now. Yeah. Um, which I, which I love that idea too. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of it. Um, I feel like I talked a lot in this one. I hope I didn't cut you off at any important points. No, I feel say. useless. I feel like I didn't contribute as much, maybe. <laughs> but no, I think it's a really good sort of summary. I say summary and sort of uh, discussion on the entire film, and it's actually perfect because we're only coming up. We're coming up to the hour mark now. Um, I would like to take the lead on the ratings for this week, if that's okay. Absolutely. So I mentioned a little bit my love for sort of folklore horror um specifically i actually did my dissertation piece on irish folklore horror so i i love this sort of storytelling um and to see i'm surprised i didn't watch this film a lot sooner given the subject matter um but it's great it's really good for a film that came out in 1992 the story and sort of the content it tackles holds up surprisingly well 
mm-hmm. um, both you know politically speaking and of course horror wise, it still feels fresh and new. Um, mm. And I absolutely adored watching this. And as I mentioned, I, I mentioned to, I don't know if it was before the recording or just the beginning of the recording, or maybe it was the beginning of the recording. Like this is a an hour and a half long and it flies by. It's all thriller, no filler. Mm. Um, I do think maybe there's a few, maybe, I don't know, odd choices that kind of come around. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, specifically the whole psych ward bit where she climbs out the window that person lets her in and then also she kind of just puts on some clothes and all those guards just run by her as if they shouldn't they probably shouldn't know what she looks like yeah um, you think at this point two 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 us suspected like, murders you think that section in particular is the only thing i really kind of criticize because it kind of feels like well they needed to get her out of the hospital so this is how they're hmm. going to do it um but it didn't hinder my overall enjoyment of the film at all i think to be reasonable and to be very fair to kind of my enjoyment of the film and every all the other films we've watched this month, I think it's a four star. I think it's really mm. good. Um, if there was maybe a little bit, of, if there was a little bit more in that psych um, hospital stuff, maybe it'd be four and a half. But I think a four star. I think it, it. It's by no means me saying it's not as good as the thing or, um, well, I was going to say color in a space, but I didn't give that a good rating. <laughs> so, uh, it's by it doesn't mean that I don't think it's as good as the thing, but I just think it's a different film and. I got different bits out of it and mm. I think for the film it is, I think it's a four out of five. Yeah. Um, I think I'd probably agree with you. Um, again, it's like, it's one of these just like incredibly well-crafted movies. Um, you know, um, it, it's a, it's a film that it's another film that kind of butts the trend of horror being either lesser or, you know, n- not as you know, technically sound or anything like that. I mean, you've got fantastic performances from everyone. Tony Todd giving, you know, a instant classic performance that just with just with just his voice and his like natural cadence just you know bringing this character to life in a way that no one else ever will be able to um and yeah and it's just and it just tells a really compelling story that that you that's really fun to play around with afterwards and there's a reason you know the the original sequels didn't touch into this at all but the 2021 sequel definitely touches on there's there's a reason like you know there's there's enough the the film gives you more than enough to work with to play around in your idea of well if helen became one you know is there more out there you know are there more stories like this where they become these these beings um mm. there's so much to play around with in your head afterwards so yeah um and obviously the score's fantastic performances are great low you know just everything the, the film is very excellent and i think four is solid just because for me it's not one I'm going to go back to constantly. And strangely enough, I rewatched, I've rewatched the sequel more, even though I would say overall, it's probably a lesser film, but there's something about the sequel. And when we do cover it, I'll be very interested. There's something about that film that just really like engages me. Um, Yeah. So uh, four for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think definitely, obviously having watched this film now, I actually kind of regret not having watched it sooner. So I could have gone and seen the 2021 film in the cinema. Yeah. That was Um, quite an experience. But, you know, I still got a good experience out of watching this 1992 one. I mean, you can't be sort of classic horror cinema, well, at least the good ones anyways. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that rounds it off pretty well. I mean, as always, every week, um, you can find us over on 
all the social media platforms linked below. You can also check us out on our website now, uh, which we will have had running for two weeks, I think, when this comes out, uh, which you can find also linked at the top of the description. We kind of write articles on the movies we're covering. Alongside that, we also have all of our podcast platforms there and a contact form. If you want everything in the one place, it's probably the best place to go, to be honest. Um, Mm. Next week, we're taking a look at the wonderful work of Mike Flanagan. We're looking at Midnight Mass, which I cannot wait to dive into. Um, (laughs) I think... If you're in for, if you're looking for a positive episode, um, th- this is the one for you. I think we're going to gush about this for as long as it takes. Um, and obviously afterwards, uh, then we have uh, Doctor Sleep. I nearly said Doctor Strange. Doctor Sleep is the final uh, episode for our Spooktober. So we've still got a lot to go. Uh, let us know what you thought of the film if you've seen it. Um, and with that being said, thank you so much for listening this week. And we'll talk to you all next time. <laughs>